0: Book Club, where we read Hood Classics and Good Classics. I'm Derek. Um, I think before we start today, we're going to go ahead and check out a uh, couple of voicemails um, from one of our listeners, and then we're going to discuss what they are discussing because something dawned on me um, like yesterday um, while, you know, reading the coldest winter ever. And that's what we're reading right now. We are on chapters three and four of the coldest winter ever uh, by Sister Soldier. Um, And I got a a voicemail uh, from one of our listeners um, and it just really gave me pause, you know, And, and it wasn't a bad voicemail, it just, it just, Reinforce what I already thought. So, with no further ado, uh, this is from uh, Nikki, uh, one of our listeners. And, Nikki, thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it.
1: So, reading, so when you're talking about how she was like, how she's talking about being 13, I think she's talking from the perspective of 16, but she's going back to 13. But her being 16 and talking about all this stuff, I remember reading this book when I was younger, because I think the first time I read it, I probably had to be in high school, because my sister had this book. I don't remember reading it, like, in a bad way, like, oh, that's not good, you shouldn't do that. I, but, like, me being 35 now, I'm re, like, it's like, oh, girl, you shouldn't be doing all that stuff. You're 16, you're just a baby. So, like, I remember, like, in high school, there were girls who talked like her, but, and did stuff like her, but I, I was a late bloomer. I'm just going to be honest. Ain't nobody was checking for me like that. Even if I wanted to in high school, nobody was going to do it. So like, it's like, oh, that's, you know, like looking at was like, oh no, that's not okay. And with her mom, I totally forgot her mom had her, what'd she say? 14. So she's 16 now. Oh, I'm horrible with math. Her mom is like barely like 31, right? 31, 32. And do they ever say how old her dad is? But, um, I don't know, in my brain, her dad is like was at least eighteen when she was born. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, so, but that's you know, it's crazy, but you know, it's you know people also like with the R. Kelly thing or whatever, people would say, well, that's how it is. Sometimes in the hood, you 14 dating a 20 year old. like, no, but that's not OK, though. We're not going to normalize that behavior, not in this country. In other countries, they may do that, but think, but whatever. But we ain't about to normalize that shit here. It, no, we don't do that, even though half of our grandmothers were married and had having kids of 14. We ain't going to normalize that. That's not OK.
0: So in the last episode. We read the first two chapters of The Coldest Winter Ever, and um, one thing that struck me was just how childish Winter Santiago, the um, heroine of the story, uh, truly is, um, and her outlook on everything and how immature she is uh, about literally everything, um, including her father's business and and just life in general. And initially when it said that she was 13, I was, you know, I was willing to give that as an excuse, you know, as a reason why she's acting the way that she acted. Um, But, you know, even if she is uh, 16 and, and, and she's talking about when she was 13, she's still a kid. And that made me realize something very important, which is this. We, and by we, I mean you and me and, and and Nikki and whoever else listening to this show, thank you so much. We weren't supposed to be reading that goddamn book. The Coldest Winter Ever was a book that was made for probably, you know, 25 to 35 year old people. That was probably the the age bracket the demographic they were looking for and and maybe even 25 to 40 year olds you know because i'm 40 and i'm reading books like that now so that might have been a demographic like 25 to let's say 45 let's say 25 to 45 just to be safe and then somehow (laughs) somehow a bunch of teenagers get their hands on the book See, a bunch of adults will read this book the same way re- we're, we are reading this book right now, which is with abject fucking horror. Like this poor girl, like what the fuck? And we were not judging her, but we're like, there's a better way and you could have handled that differently and all that kind of stuff. But a 15 year old? Shit, they just went through that last week. Like 13 year olds are like, yeah, that just happened to me a few days ago. We, yes, yeah, a, a book that understands me. And this book isn't supposed to, under- you're not supposed to understand this book. You're not supposed to empathize with her. You're not supposed to sympathize with her. And you're damn sure not supposed to relate to her. But again, we got our hands on this book way earlier than we were supposed to. I think that's the thing. I think that's the problem. We are adults now who are looking at this and I do another podcast called Hindsight, where we look at movies that we watched uh, from the eighties, nineties and early thousands, um, early two thousands, we watch them again as adults and we see if it still holds up. The same thing is happening with this book. It holds up, the book is still fucking dope. But Winter, she's not, she's a kid. And it's like a little-ass kid. and um, the, the, the shit she gets into is little-ass kid problems right now. Um, her family moves out to Long Island and she doesn't like it um, because she likes being in Brooklyn. She likes being in the hood. Her daddy's a drug dealer. She doesn't know shit about the game. But she knows that her family's the most important family out there and she likes the acclaim. She likes being able to tell all the other drug dealers that my family pays your family's bills. So take that, motherfucker. She, she just likes being famous. So they move out to Long Island because obviously somebody's encroaching on her dad's space and he's trying to get space between him and those people. She doesn't see any of that. She's like, my dad's never been scared of anything. And if he said he's never been scared of anything, then that's what it is. And so... She's stuck out in Long Island, and she's like, I found a way to go to the mall, but the guys weren't attractive, or they they were scared away by my shirt that said, "These are not my fucking kids," because she's sixteen, trying to match or trying to get with guys older than her. She has a, a sugar daddy that I am pretty certain she hooked up with when she was thirteen, which is just ugh, on so many fucking levels but you know she she's in the she she's in Long Island her mom is throwing parties that she's not invited to cuz she's a kid and um now she's realizing that she's got to start you know making some plans to be able to get back to the hood and get back to Brooklyn on a regular basis and so with that said here's chapter 3 of the coldest winter ever daddy i say softly trying to lean in on my innocent baby doll look. I want to get my hair done at Earlene's next Friday. Sensing some type of plot, Santiago asks, why would you go all the way to Brooklyn to get your hair done? Can't you go somewhere around here? Come on, daddy, I pleaded. They don't know how to hook my do up out here. Earlene be having my shit, excuse me. My hair looking correct. There's plenty of black hairdressers out here. Go to Wyandanche. That's a 45-minute ride. It just doesn't make sense for my baby to be riding a bunch of trains and buses just to get to Brooklyn. Bus? Train? Trust me, Daddy, I wasn't talking about riding either. I'm straight up hitting on you for a ride when you're driving on Friday, I said, laughing and begging at the same time. Winter, you know I don't mix business and pleasure. I do my run solo. I don't want you to deal with that or know more than what you need to know. It's not smart. And I never been a stupid man. Just lay low for a while. Your mother will have her car in a couple weeks. Then you and her can go ripping around and take care of all that girly shit. Anyway, he said with his face cool and half a smile, There ain't a female in the state who looks better than winter, even without Earlene's help. Even in my disappointed moment, a compliment felt good, and it worked, as it did every time. I accepted Santiago's rationale and went back to my room to reshuffle my deck and think of another angle to get me into Brooklyn. Days later, I called Sterling, my old sugar daddy, out of the blue. After racking my brain for a plan to get into Brooklyn, I realized he was the only sucker I knew who would get such a kick out of seeing me that he would drive all the way out here to get me. The price of the whole arrangement was that I'd have to tolerate him, act like I gave a damn about him when I didn't. I'd have to think a quick answer to all his wimpy bitching questions about where I've been, why I cut out on him like I did, why I never called him, blah, 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 blah. Then I had to find a clever way to ditch him because I definitely wasn't spending my Friday night with him. I'd have to be firm so he wouldn't start that damn whining, but I'd also have to be sweet so if I had to use him again as my taxi driver from time to time, he would cooperate. The worst thing that might happen is I might have to end up giving him some pussy just to keep him in line or a quick blowjob while he's driving. I wasn't sweating it though. I had done it with him before and I could easily do it again, especially to get the hell out of Long Island. Soon as Santiago's Lex ripped out of the driveway on Friday afternoon, I saw Sterling pull up in his little car with the broken fender. I swallowed hard and got ready to pretend it was a limo. When I told my mom I was going to Earlene's, she wanted to come too. I explained that she shouldn't come because I will spend the night at Aunt Lori's and wouldn't be able to get her a ride back after she finished at Earlene's. She screwed up her face, as though she had a problem with me spending the night at her own sister's house. I quickly added that I'll be back first thing Saturday morning to watch the kids. She let go of her anger and I jetted. Adrenaline was pumping inside Earlene's. I was like a junkie getting a fix as I got filled in on the what haps around the way. The girls dropped the regular shit on me with like who's bumping who, who's pregnant, who's paid, who's not and why. Who's locked down, how long and who's due to come home. Now Natalie was giving me the elbow her discreet way of telling me to look towards the door without looking like I was looking towards the door. There go Tazia, she said out the corner of her mouth. Yeah, and I asked, waiting for the 411 on her. She's fucking with your man, midnight. The information hit me right in my chest. She was talking about my future husband. She big on him too, especially since he got that new Acura with the rims my heart dropped for three full seconds it took one second for me to check taja out my eyes zoomed in on her ears cheap 10 karat gold earrings then her clothes she was chilling a little bit strictly hip-hop style she had big taste me titties a small flat belly and a round ass she was brown skinned with chinky eyes regular bitch i thought to myself The rack she pulled those clothes off had 1000 pairs of the same shit, which means at any party four or five girls will have it on. There was nothing unique about her, even the way she hooked up her gear. It wouldn't be hard for me to move her right on out. But damn, it was a Long Island distance that was killing me. A second later, my mind focused on what I really wanted to hear. Mint and I had a new Acura, the one I'll be riding in, the one he needed to have to sport a bitch like me. After my hair was butter, I left with Natalie to go check my Aunt Laurie. I needed to at least show my face in her apartment and hang out for an hour or so. I knew my moms would call to check in on me. I'd be out partying, but at least Aunt Lori would be able to verify that she had seen me, and that i will be back there to spend the night like I told my mom I would. We had plans to go to Big Mo's, the local bar and dance set that'd be banging on Friday nights for the young crowd. There was never no problem about Big Mo or his bouncers getting in your business and checking IDs and shit like that. I can't begin to tell you how my heart was racing just from being in the Brooklyn air again. Cars were positioned bumper to bumper for all three blocks surrounding Mo's club. Car and Jeep speakers were up, each one playing their own jam. Sound systems were fighting out, blast each other. A little bit of hip-hop collided with a little bit of reggae, rockers, and even slow jams. I was on foot, rolling 15 deep straight Brooklyn style with 15 razor ready girls who all had each other's backs. When we got in the club, I put my plan to action. I didn't have long to work because Long Island was looming in the back of my mind like a threat. Midnight was standing on the right side of the club where the lights were low. He was kicking it with about five other niggas. I caught the side of his serious face, his muscular jaw working. I laughed to myself thinking, only this nigga would conduct business in a place where everyone else trying to get their groove on. I gave my girl, Natalie, the pinch and our whole crew started walking towards midnight and his boys. We rushed his crew, bumping into all of them, rubbing our titties against them, using the excuse the club was crowded. Of course, it only took a second before my girls had his boys distracted. I stepped up, licking my lips real slowly, and said, rough and sexy, like, what's up, midnight? Haven't seen you in a while. I said this line was sensual power. I said, it like he and I had been intimate in the past, and I missed him and need to get back with him as soon as possible. I was standing so close to him that one more inch and I could have slid my tongue down his throat. He looked at me unaffected, completely unmoved and non emotional. My emotions were wilding. My nipples were up, and the muscles of my pussy were beating like a heart. What do you want? He finally said, now I was pissed. I knew my perfume had to be working. I dabbed it on extra. So when I got up close, my scent would suck him in hell. I had on 18 carat gold earrings and one carat diamond studs much more than that $2 10 carat hoe. I heard he had been kicking the had. I didn't want to go off. The bottom line is that I wanted him. So I'd have to play it cool. Make sure I pull him in just right. I said sweetly, what do I want? I touched his hand with mine and looked him dead in the eye. Oh, I want it all. He pulled his hand back like I had a disease and slowly and coldly spit back at me. Well, that makes you like all these other bitches in here now, don't it? Rage ripped through my chest as it became clear that I wasn't even a consideration of his. Hell, he acted like I wasn't even a woman. My mind automatically flipped to Santiago, who I know would have ripped out Midnight's tongue for even talking to me like that. Then, like a gypsy, Midnight reading my thoughts said, what, you gonna tell daddy? <laughs> I'm my own man. He turned and walked away. I felt so played, I didn't want to turn around to my girls. I have to tell my whole crew that I got dissed like I was a piece of shit. I just tightened up, put on my Brooklyn toot, grabbed the next nigga standing close to me and started to dance. I was going to move with fury, let Midnight know what he was missing. I handed my coach bag to my girl and started shaking my ass all the way to Alabama, using this dumb fuck dancing in front of me like a prop while I tried to catch Midnight's attention again. My body was shaking and sweating as anger and desire fought it out. Yes, desire, because I was definitely turned on. The lighting situation made it hard for me to catch midnight's eyes. At the point that my body wanted to collapse from exhaustion, I saw midnight looking in my direction and heading my way. Smiling to myself, I thought, I know I'm a bad bitch. I knew he'd come back. As he got closer, I realized he was signaling to his man who was standing behind me. He snatched him up and they left the club. Later that night, our crew was walking back to the PJs. I was feeling down, but looking unaffected. We were joking, bugging, talking about people when a spanking new jet black gleaming accurate rims pulled up alongside us. We all stopped to look at what I calculated was a fifty thousand dollar car with forty five hundred dollars in rims. The automatic window on the passenger side dropped down. Midnight was behind the wheel doing what he does best looking good. I wasn't going to play the sucker role and assume he stopped for me. I'd done that already tonight. So I stood in the pack with my girls. He must have known he could have called any of us over and not one of us would have stopped to consider the others. All of us probably doing the same thing, imagining ourselves in the passenger seat of that car, which just increased in value as I checked the soft white leather interior and wood paneling. Winter, he called my name with a roughness and made me want to just hop on his dick and go buck. Get in. I don't remember walking to the car or nothing. I felt like I was just transformed or teleporter right into the seat like I was on Star Trek or something. I turned to the side. The automatic window was up. I was pulling his finger off the control button. I saw 28 eyeballs glued to the side of my window staring at my face. That was my girls, but that was jealous. All I could think was, yeah, that's right. What'd you expect or have you forgotten? I'm the queen of this ghetto. As the window closed, I could hear Natalie's voice saying, Are you staying in my house or Aunt Lori's? I didn't respond. Just thought to myself, hopefully neither. As we rode, my confidence grew slowly. I decided he was just trying to flip the script on me, play hard to get. It didn't matter, though. He came back for me. I had made an impression on him. I had sweated him, and now he was sweating me. The air in the car was crisp and clean-smelling. The stereo was so fly, it sounded like the band was playing the music live in the back seat. He wasn't saying nothing, but that was all right. I was used to his strange silence. It didn't make me mad. It made me want him more. I knew our lovemaking would be good just based on his mysteriousness. Opened my coach bag and pulled out my little mirror. He wasn't paying me no mind. I tilted the mirror to the side angle so I could look at his face without him realizing I was looking. He was black, all right, and beautiful. His long, thin nose and big, thick lips mounted his white teeth, white like those t-shirts he wore in the summertime. Suddenly, it seemed, the music was abruptly interrupted by the loud and aggravating voice of Sister Soldier on the radio. I leaned up and reached for the button to change the station when Midnight intercepted my hand saying, don't touch my shit. I sucked my teeth, rolled my eyes and sat stiff while soldier went on to talk about some black struggle. <laughs> I thought, if there's some kind of struggle going on, she must be the only one in it. Everybody I know was chilling, just trying to enjoy life. She, on the other hand, with these Friday and Saturday night comments, busting up the radio hip hop flavor mix is the only one who's always uptight. I had every reason to take it personal. She started talking about how young black drug dealers are the strong black men in the community, but need to change their line of business because it's destroying the community. As far as I'm concerned, soldier's just somebody who likes to hear her so talk. She obviously didn't know the time because the drug dealers don't destroy nothing. If there weren't people online to buy the product, then there would be no business. No drug dealer I know ever forced anybody, not one person to take drugs. People do it voluntarily, they do it by choice. The niggas I know who sell drugs be trying to help the stupid crackheads. They be telling them to slow down and ask them if they sure they want to sell their last whatever just to get that hit. I even know a dealer who told this pregnant girl he wouldn't sell her no more crack until after she had the baby. She just took her dumb ass to somebody else and got the crack anyway. Then, when she had the baby boy, she tried to sell him too. Now, whose fault is that? People do what they want to do. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe Soldier just wants people to do what she wants them to do. Why are you even listening to this bullshit? I asked Midnight. What the hell do you know? He snapped back in his low and cool voice. This one I noticed we're on the Long Island Expressway. Where are you taking me? Home little girl, he responded. Your father, and asked me to bring you home. I thought you was your own man. For $150, I'll run an errand. It's business. I pick you up, drop you off, collect my dough, and I'm out. The $150 transaction was as smooth and non-incidental as a messenger service dropping off a package. After handing midnight the money and closing the door, My father walked silently through the living room and into his den. The room was dark. He sat down, leaned back in his chair. The moonlight through the blinds lit up half his serious face. Winter, he said softly. Yes, Daddy, I said. What made you think you could spend the night in Brooklyn? I asked Mommy. I wanted to see my friends. Natalie and me was supposed to, I guess you're not understanding. Not understanding what? I asked, checking my tone to ensure that I wasn't sounding disrespectful. Something Santiago doesn't tolerate. Who you are, who I am and who we are. He said each word with precision. He was starting to sound like some type of philosopher or something to me. This whole thing wasn't making any type of sense. You're my daughter. You can't just wander off and go anywhere unprotected. Anywhere, I said upset. I went home. I went to Brooklyn. I went to the only place I know where my peoples is at, where everybody knows me. Those are my streets, daddy. Do you think those streets love you? Those streets don't love you. They don't even know you. You could walk those streets 1,000 nights and 1,000 days and they wouldn't even know your name. The streets don't love nobody. It was crazy. His words would make me feel uneasy and I couldn't connect. I didn't like the feeling. I was used to being relaxed and in control. So what are you saying, daddy? Are you saying I can't go home anymore? No, he said quickly. I'm not saying that. Cause daddy, I'm not hiding from anybody. You're scared of anything. You taught me that. It's not about hiding. It's about being smart. I taught you that too. What makes you special, Winter? He asked like it was a $50,000 jeopardy question or some shit like that. I ran the question through my head and drew a blank. What makes you special is me, Santiago. Your father, your protection. You had full run of our projects when I lived there because I was holding things down, making everything all right. My eyes saw everything, so everything was cool. Now this is home. This is where I'll rest my head. If I'm here and you're over there, I can't see you. If I can't see you, I can't protect you. And when you're unprotected, you're wide open. Anything could happen. But Aunt Lori saw me. She knew I was there. Uncle Stevie was there just like usual. (sighs) Look at my face, Winter, and never forget what I tell you. Santiago loves you. Your mother loves you. Don't confuse it. That's all you can depend on. Yes, Daddy. I responded softly and turned to go into my room. There was no doubt in my mind that it was time to spark an L. Luckily, I copped a nickel bag earlier in Brooklyn. I went to the linen closet and grabbed a couple of towels. I closed my door, pulled out a pack of incense. My mind shouted, hell nah, the incense is a dead giveaway. I went to my bedroom window, opened it and decided I'd just let the breeze in the whist of smoke out. Sitting down on my bed, I pulled off my shoes. I opened up my shirt, unsnapped my bra to let my titties breathe. I slipped on my slippers, walked to the dresser drawer, stuck my hand underneath the folded blouses, and pulled out my Philly blunt. I cracked it open, took the tobacco out, and flushed it down the toilet. I put the weed in, wrapped it, licked it, and stuck it under my nose as a teaser to my appetite. Yes, I need to relieve my tension. I'm backed up sexually, stuck in the suburbs, and my dream lover is a mummy. Just as I went to position the towel to jam up the space in the door, my mom knocked and without hesitation, pushed the door open gently. I got up, threw the towel on the bed to cover up the blender I'd been laying there. Hey, mommy, I said, trying to act casual. I checked her face. You could always tell when Santiago was upset because it showed on my mother's face. Your father really went off when I told him you would spend the night in Brooklyn. Yeah. We talked, I said, hoping to avoid two speeches in one night. I tried to get in to loosen up, but you know how that goes, she admitted. Ooh, that's a fly design you got, I said, checking her freshly sculpted painting and immaculate nails. Where'd you get that done? A little shop about 15 minutes away. Santiago took me. What else you get? Don't be holding out on me. I know you got something else uh just a little dress for me to rock tonight at my party she said yeah i replied disinterested i know that's how i'm starting to feel about the parties too i just need to get my whip so i can get in out and around well when do you think you'll get it if i have my way and i always do i'll get it next weekend she smiled confidently Yeah, but the way Santiago was talking, even after you get it, we ain't allowed in Brooklyn. Now you know that's crazy. He just protective and sometimes he overdoes it. But girl, we can sneak, she said, smiling. Her mahogany skin was glowing in my dim light. Mommy was pretty, all right. A definite advantage to having babies at a young age. You get to chill with your mom like she's your sister or something. Fuck all those old stiff bastards complaining about teenage pregnancy, this and that. Me and my moms could party together. No one would ever notice she was my mom. I got some shit in my closet that looks better on her than it does on me. I know some niggas from around my way in Brooklyn who would rather fuck her than me. Not that they would ever admit it. That would be suicidal. Santiago would, oh yeah. Just the thought of daddy snapped me back into reality. Sneaking to Brooklyn, I laughed. Santiago runs Brooklyn. There's no sneaking in and out of his territory. Hell, he beat Midnight at a club and had him bring me home. Embarrassed the shit out of me. How did he even know I was there? Well, you know Big Mo got an answer to Santiago, Mom said, being vague. Speaking of Midnight, I bet you liked riding in his car, she said, smiling knowingly. What? I played it off. She lay back in my bed, rolled over, and started tickling me like I was a little girl or something. Hitting all my secret spots, I cracked up with laughter. Midnight's cool, I said, matter of factly. Don't front on me, little hooker, she said, like she was really one of my girlfriends. I see the way you look at him. When? I asked. When? Okay, when you was 13, when you was 14, when you was 15, when you was 16, she laughed. He's a good catch, though. A good man, loyal, paid, and strong. He don't like me, though, I said, admitting something I will never tell one of my girlfriends. It's not that, she said. Midnight just likes life. Santiago will squeeze the life out of him. I wish that was the truth, but no, I'm saying I wish it was that he was just scared of Santiago. I'm saying he straight up don't like me at all, period, as a woman. He talks cold and says very little. He didn't even try to be nice to me on the way home. Trust me, there ain't no way he don't like my baby. You're young and fine. You got everything a girl could want. Pretty hair, beautiful eyes, clothing, jewels. It's got to be Santiago standing in the way. So when do you think Santiago will stop standing in my way? Who knows, she said, exasperated. My mother got up and headed towards the door. As she stepped out of the room, she leaned her head back in and smiled. And don't light that joint in my house. That'll really make Santiago snap. Damn, I thought to myself it seemed like both of them know everything, but nobody was gonna stop me from getting my buzz on. I crawled outside of my window, sat on my little slanted side of the roof and puffed my lawn in the spring breeze and moonlight. After the feeling of no worries came over me, I leaned back, closed my eyes and drifted into the night. We were all seated in the family room. Santiago was playing chess against himself. My mother was flipping through her hundreds of album covers, her collection. My sisters were all glued to the television watching the Cartoon Network. I was reclining in a chair, redoing one of my fingernails when the doorbell rang. Santiago answered. When the door opened, he stood face to face with Midnight. Midnight looked Santiago dead in the eye and said, we need to talk. Santiago led him into the den. I jumped off the reclining chair and tiptoed to the den door, plastering my ear against the side of the wall. Midnight told Santiago, slowly and respectfully, I know you love your daughter, and so do I. Santiago's face first held a look of surprise, then grew vexed. He remained cool. As he leaned forward to speak, Midnight quickly went on. I know what I need to do as a man. I've been working on it for a long time and now I'm ready. I wanted you to be sure that I'm for real, that my love for your daughter is real. Midnight reached into his inside pocket and pulled out an elegant black velvet ring box. He cracked it open and the two carat diamond sparkled. My nosy eyes beamed in on the stone. I want to marry Winter, Midnight said firmly. I'll surround her with the finest things in life like she deserves, like you always have. My finances are solid, stashed away and ready. May we'll buy a house up here, live next to you. Santiago smiled at the idea keeping me within arm's reach. My inside screamed, hell nah, not here. My heart interrupted and said, all right, anywhere you finance paid, motherfucker. Santiago said, winter is young. Yes, midnight said sternly, young and beautiful. Like your wife was when you two married. Santiago checked Midnight's face to make sure the Midnight meant no ill by his comment. Then Midnight took control. I respect you as a man, Santiago. I always have. I value your business and I served you well. But I'm my own man and this is what I want. So what do you say? What's up? Santiago embraced Midnight. As Midnight's face pressed against Santiago's shoulder, he looked at me and said with that masculine authority that made me hot, Pack your stuff, shorty. It's me and you from here on out. Excited, but not wanting to appear desperate, I threw my hand on my hip and said, Let's see what you got there. Midnight opened up the box and took out the ring. As he placed it on my finger, the phone rang, jerking me out of my sleep, ruining my dream. If only it could have rung after the love scene. I snatched the telephone as my sleepy eyes checked the digital on my dresser. Six o'clock in the fucking morning. What do you want? It was Natalie. She laughed. My long distance is working. Hey, hey, wake up, hooker. So what happened? Where'd you go? Did you get it? How was it? Was it small? Was it big? She fired questions like bullets. My mind was still sleepy. I needed enough energy to get my lies straight because I definitely was about to tell some lies. We went out for a late night, early morning breakfast. Where, she demanded. He took me to one of those big fancy diners out in Queens. He had steak and eggs with potatoes. I had shrimp and fries. Shrimp and fries, that ain't breakfast food. Girl, you know I don't eat breakfast. Anyway, Natalie screamed. Get to the good part. Before I could even start talking, she was filling in the blanks for herself. Oh, my God. Wait till Taja finds out about this. It's all now. Now Natalie bringing up Taja's name only gave me fuel. After breakfast, me and Midnight got back in his car. He took me to one of them lookout spots by the river. He started kissing me. Girl, his lips were so big and warm. He started rubbing my titties with them big-ass, strong hands. Girl, I thought I was going to explode. He started taking off my shirt, and that's when I went Brooklyn on his ass. What? She screamed. What happened? I told that nigga. Look, don't try and play me out. If I'm going to take off my clothes, you're going to take yours off, too. You want to see my body? Oh, well, it's all here, but I want to see your body, too. No, you didn't. Yes, I did, I said. So what happened? He took off his shirt and said, now you take off yours. So I did. He took off his pants and said, now you take off yours. So I did. Oh, shit, Natalie was going ballistic. Then what? He took off his drawers and said, now take off yours. Did you? I damn sure did. Girl, I looked at his big ass black balls laying against that soft white leather car seat and that was it. We got busy. Who? Was anyone looking? Hell no. I don't know. We wasn't worried about that. After that wild sex, we just chilled butt naked. Him and his seat butt naked. Me and my seat butt naked puffin' law. Get out of here. You lying, Natalie screamed. Uh Uh-uh, girl, that's for real. I made sure my sweat sunk into the car leather just let every other bitch know I was there. The next bitch that gets in that car is going to smell me all over. We both laughed. So is this what it's all about, Manny? Money, cars, jewelry, clothing, even her mom says that that's what it's all about. That's what her mom says is the most important thing to women, no intelligence. I mean, I'm sure that they're street smart but this is what happens when a 14 year old mom and you know what, I'm not even gonna go there cause there's hella 14 year old moms I guess. I don't fucking know, I don't know. So I can't really judge. This is crazy to me though. Hearing her talk. In this situation, hearing her talk um, and knowing that she knows nothing else, this is the only world she's ever known, and thinking that her mom is just, you know, having a mom that's your same age is like the coolest thing in the world because y'all can go to the club together and people, she wears my clothes better and I wear my clothes and people want to fuck her instead of me and it's like, but your mom, Never really got a chance to be a kid. I don't know how she'd be as a mom. And they never say how old Santiago is. Like, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he was uh, older than, you know, her mom was, obviously. But they don't say. So, um, we don't know if he was a pedophile. We don't know what was popping off, Um, but yeah. It's just youth, like she knows this nigga don't like her, but she just refuses, just let it go because you know, the way her dad taught her was a never take no for an answer. And then they get into the car and she hears sister sold start talking and sister told just definitely speaking truth to fact about, you know, how drug dealers could be stronger pillars of the community because they are the, in some way, shape or form, they are a pillar in the community, whether good or bad, you know, they are where the money's going. And Winter's like, I don't know any drug dealers who ever force anybody to take drugs. like, that's not how this works. And I'm just hoping that in the next book, she has more sense about the way things work. But I'm scared. Like, I'm not going to front. I haven't read the book yet. I'm not going to read it until I get done with this one. But I don't have a lot of hope for her. This chapter um, was a bit longer, and the next chapter is 42 uh, minutes long, apparently, according to the book. So we'll be just doing one chapter uh, for this episode and for the next episode. But yeah, I mean, telling that lie, like anybody, anyone who wasn't a kid and didn't want to hear what they wanted to hear or wasn't a kid and only heard what they wanted to hear would have known that that whole story was a lie like you could tell by the way that he talked to her in the club the way he talks to her ever he talks to her like she's a a a pest for real she he talks to her like she just gets on his everlasting nerve like the last nerve that he has she found it and she's standing on it that's what he's like and you think he wants her because why because she says it oh okay all right the way santiago was talking in this chapter let me know that they are not safe in the hood like there's a reason why he got up and out the hood and he's like, if I can't keep my eyes on you, then you ain't safe no more. The only reason why you were safe there is because I was able to keep eyes on you. But yeah, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't the business anymore. He's going to where they can't find him, which is why I don't understand why they throw on these big ass parties. But it ain't gonna work for too much longer. Whatever he's running from is gonna find him. Y'all can uh, leave a voicemail at 916-633-1537. You can leave an email at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. You can go to our Twitter page, which is Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um, Yeah, check us out. Leave a five-star review wherever you leave a review at. Um, if you liked what you heard, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Let your friends know about it. Share the show things of that nature. Thanks so much for checking us out. Um, the next chapter will be coming out tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. This is Ratchet Book Club, and I am Derek. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. Peace.